Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. And um, yeah, I preached the entire 930 with my fly down, so this is going to be much better. Let's get at it. Uh, Got your Bibles, head over to uh, Acts chapter 1. And uh, this is going to be really great. And uh, I triple checked on my way in, so we're all good. And uh, hey, um, welcome. Uh, Head over to Acts chapter 1 if you got your Bibles. We are in week four of a series that we are just calling Try Love. Try Love is the name of the series. And let me tell you where I got this series title. Okay, part of the inspiration for this series title, it came from a movie that no one will remember. Vintage 2004 romantic comedy movie called Wicker Park, starring Josh Hartnett, the teenage heartthrob of many a 90s teenager. Okay, now there's a spot in the movie where uh, Josh Hartnett turns to the female love interest in the movie. And here's what he says. He says, love will make you do crazy things insane things, things you never thought you'd see yourself doing, but there you are doing them, can't help it. Love will make you do crazy things. And, you know, really honestly, um, if I look back at like my life, what I've noticed is that that is a very true statement. Love will make you do crazy things. Y'all can uh, actually help me celebrate this. We were out of town for it, but Jan and I, we just finished, we just celebrated our 17th anniversary. Come on, somebody. That's right, man. We're excited about it. And uh, if I look back on um, our relationship, it's like, the second I laid eyes on that girl, I started doing insane things. Um, true story, Jana and I, uh, we met on a blind date. Uh, we dated for four months, got engaged, engaged for four months, got married. I mean, it was lightning. Uh, true story. So here, here's how we started dating. Um, Jana was in the living room of my former youth pastor when she was in college. And they were like, why are you single? You know, and, and uh, she had just broken up with a guy. And uh, you guys remember those old, you remember the old church directories with pictures? They grabbed one of those and started going through and like, oh, what about him? Okay, no, no, what are, going through, looking at guys from the church directory, looking for somebody to set her up with. So what about him? No, what about him? No, what about him? No, Josh Howerton. Yes, you know, that's what happened. And, uh, and so, and then my former youth pastor, he sends me, you know, this email. He's like, hey man, there's this girl. You gotta, she's different. You gotta meet this girl. And, uh, you know, email, and he's asking, you know, me to go on a blind date. I was essentially like, man, I'm, you know, I'm Josh Howard. I'm not desperate, you know, was the thing. And, uh, but then he sent me a picture and I was like, I'll be there next week. And so, you know, I, uh, she was going to college three and a half hours away from where I was in college. So the next week I drive all the way up and y'all, the second I laid eyes on the, the crystal blue eyes and the flowing red hair, this girl, she was passionate about the things of God. And uh, listen, I was ruined. 
like utterly ruined. I started doing insane things. Um, I went to college three and a half hours away from where she was going to college. And so our entire relationship, we never until we were married lived in the same city. Whole thing was long distance. I'm driving three and a half hours up from college every weekend. I had no job. I was a full-time student. So in order to get gas money, I donated plasma every Thursday. Because I was just like, I gotta, I gotta, I, I don't have gas. I gotta see Jana Clayton. I have to see Jana Clayton. And then our whole relationship, it was like, we were like a real life, you've got mail. Because it was like the whole thing was long distance. So we just emailed. It was like, this was like pretext. I know that's insane for some of you. This is pretext. And so like whatever, in between every class, I would like walk up, like it was all the way across campus. But I would like run all the way across campus, duck in the computer lab, see if there was an email from Jana Clayton. And then run to the next class. The computer lab closed at eight and I had a night class that finished at eight. So I couldn't get there. So there was all these, um, our, our school would stuff Chick-fil-A coupons for free sandwiches in all the student mailboxes. And a lot of students didn't know they were in there. They would just chuck all their mail. So I would go through the trash can in the mail room, get out all the free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich coupons, give them to a computer lab employee to let me in late to see if there was an email from Jana Clayton. I mean, I was like, I was just ruined totally ruined for this girl. So then, you know, we're dating, we're all this stuff. Uh, we're, you know, it's four months in and I'm like, I gotta marry this girl. Jana, after the first date, went back to her roommates and she was like, I'm gonna marry that guy. After our second date, I was so convinced I was gonna marry her. After I dropped her off, we had like hung, now, by the way, nothing shady happened. We weren't like making out or anything. We like, we hung out. I parked the car in this field just to hang out and talk. Nothing shady happened, okay? And, and our car, my car got stuck. My little grand am got stuck in the mud, okay? So then after the date, I was so convinced I was gonna marry Jana. I got a pla- I drop her off, drive back to the spot we got stuck in the mud. I, got, I grabbed it. There was a plastic spoon in my car and I dug out dirt from the spot where we got stuck put it in a plastic bag so that I would forever have dirt from where we got stuck and be able to go. That's when I knew I was gonna marry that girl. And I still have the dirt. I kept dirt, dirt for this girl. So then four months later, you know, it's like, I've been dating Jana for at that point, like three and a half months. I'm asking Jana's dad for his blessing, uh, you know, uh, to marry his daughter. Now you gotta know, Jana's dad, good, hardworking dude, like, capital H, hardworking dude. Worked his way up from like an intern at a paper mill, retired running the whole thing. Like this dude is, is, a, is, is a boss. So I'm like there and I'm a very practical Midwestern man. So I'm like, hey, um, you know, can I have your blessing to marry your daughter? Practical Midwestern dude, is, one of his questions was, you know, what's your annual income? And I, I, was, a, uh, I was a part-time college ministry intern. So my answer was, you know, almost $15,000, you know? He, and listen, he looked at me like I just said, I hated Ronald Reagan. Like, you know, it's like, there's kind of like utter disdain, you know? But, but it, you know, it all works out. Then, you know, we date for four months, we get engaged, we're engaged for four months, married eight months from a blind date to married. On our honeymoon, I have this thought like, I don't know how to spell her middle name. I'm like, I just married a girl. And and the crazy didn't end there, okay? So, you know, I just, 
I'm ruined for Jana. Yeah, we had our 15th, we, this was our 17th anniversary, but I had saved up all our pennies to take her on this like 15th anniversary. COVID killed it, just was able to do it this year. And uh, I wanted to take her on like her dream trip. I was like, I, I, just, I want Jana, I want, she's a big Jane Austen freak. And so I just was like, Let me, I wanna t- I'm gonna take her to London and I want her to feel like she's in a Jane Austen novel for five days. And so like I planned this whole thing and I intentionally planned, me, I planned to take her to the Jane Austen Center where I was willing to do this. Y'all, that's me as Mr. Darcy right there. I should get huge credit for this, by the way, like huge credit. Can I just say this? Like, listen, y'all, love will make you do crazy things, insane things, things you never thought you'd do, okay? Now, listen, do you guys know, I have a point to telling you all this. Do you understand that the entire Christian life is an explosion of love that makes you do crazy things? That's the entire Christian life. In fact, can I just say this to you? Do you, if you wanna kill your faith and the faith of your children, it is really easy to do. Here's all you gotta do. Reduce Christianity down to a mechanistic, white-knuckling, moralistic keeping of a set of rules instead of an eruption of violent love for Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. That's all you gotta do. You'll kill your faith and your kid's faith. Love will make you do crazy things. That's Christianity. Scale it up to the entire universe. Sometimes like I'll read my Bible and I will be freshly struck that the, how, like, why? Why would the God of the universe endure the brutality of the cross? Love will make you do crazy things, insane things, things you never thought you'd see yourself doing. There you are doing them. That's the entire Christian life. Can we be honest? Some of the things the Bible commands followers of Jesus to do, they are crazy But if you are full of a white hot first love for Jesus, it's like, yeah, man, I'm in, I'm in. It's like, it just comes out. Now, this is what I wanna do. That's the entire series has been, okay, what does that eruption of love look like for uh, the people of Dallas, Fort Worth, our city? What does that eruption of love look like for the people in our nation, church planting in our nation? Today, I'm talking about the most insane one of all is we have a command for that love to erupt outward to go to the nations, like all of the nations. So if you got your Bibles, I'm gonna show this to us and uh, it's very straightforward. If you got your Bibles, head over to Acts chapter one and I wanna show you this from the text. So Acts chapter one, here we go. Now, I gotta point a couple things out. It says, in the first book, I wanna point this out, in the first book, here's why it says first book. The book of Acts was written by a doctor, a physician, highly trained, highly educated dude named Luke. And this rich guy, this guy named Theophilus, in the first book, O Theophilus, a wealthy who's probably a politician or aristocrat that became a Christian. And he commissions Luke to go and interview all the eyewitnesses and write down in detailed, footnoted fashion, here's what historically actually happened with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So the gospel of Luke is part one, The book of Acts is part two of a two-part compendium written by Luke. So he says, in the first book, I uh, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That was the gospel of Luke. But now in Acts, this is what he's doing. And while he was staying with them, this is Jesus, he ordered them. Now you say these words out loud because it's really interesting. He ordered them not to depart. You got to be louder than that, man. Don't let the 930 beat you. From Jerusalem, but to 
wait, good job, wait for the promise of the Father. That's really interesting that he says that. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he said, not many days from now. Now, that is weird, and I hope you've actually picked up that it's really weird Jesus said that. Here's why it's weird. Because in book one of the two-part compendium, do you remember the last thing Jesus told his disciples? It was go out. The Great Commission, go into all the world uh, and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That was the last thing he told his disciples. But then you get to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus goes, hey, I just told you to go out. Oh, but by the way, stay in. Why did he do that? The disciples, they would have heard Jesus say, hey, stay in. Don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem. And they would have been like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You just told us we got to reach the, reach the nations. We got sermons to write. We got books to publish. We got churches to plant. We got things to organize. So why did Jesus tell them to stay in before they go out? Here's why. Because if you go out before you stay in, you don't have any power to go out with. And church, we have to have otherworldly supernatural power to accomplish the mission God has given us. Now, this is what he said. He said, you will receive power. There's a very specific source of that power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If I'm really honest, can I be honest? What I've noticed is that most churches, they look for power everywhere except the Holy Spirit. Everywhere except the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give a couple examples to make sure that we understand where our, listen, where our power does not come from, Lake Point Church. Some churches, what I've noticed is they look for power. It's like in leadership principles, in strategy, it's in organization. And they're like, man, if we just get the right visionary leader with the right org chart and the right systems, well, then everything will just sort of take care of itself, okay? That is not how this works. In fact, I'll give you an example. Um, So before I came to Lake Point, um, I was a pastor of a church in Nashville for 10 years. And we had this little season where our church, there was like a Honestly, it was like a spiritual way. Our church just started very rapidly growing. And when that happened, all these pastors started reaching out to see if they could come to Nashville and take me out to lunch or whatever and ask me how we were doing what we're doing. And so there was uh, one guy, he came in from Atlanta. I'm gonna call him Ryan. That was not his name. That's what I'm gonna call him. A guy came in from, a uh, guy named Ryan. And uh, he sat down, he was like, hey, okay, Pastor Josh, um, I need you, can you tell me, and here, here's what he said. He said, what's your secret? What's your secret? He's like, hey, man. Um, And he started going through all this stuff that was mechanics. He was like, hey, what's your church's assimilation process? Like, how are you moving them from curious to community to connected? What's your assimilation process? Oh, okay, that's not it. Okay, hey, tell me about your service flow. Like, man, what are you doing? Like a pre-roll video and then an intro and then how many songs are you doing? And what's the emotional flow of the songs? And then how how are you doing this? And then when do the keys come in at the end of the day? Like, well, how are you doing all that? When's the giving happen? How How are you doing that? Is that your secret? Okay, that's nice. You say, okay, tell me about your org chart. Like, have you consolidated decision-making at the top level? Are you trying to disperse it down through the bottom? How are you structuring your staff? You got to, how you, oh, that's not it. Okay, well, man, tell me me about, uh, how are you getting people into groups? Like, how are you moving them into discipleship? How how are you doing all that? Is that your, oh, that's not your And honestly, the longer he talked, it was like this, this holy indignation started like rising up inside of me. And I just went, hey, bro, uh, let's do this. Come with me. And I have this uh, confession. I have this weird thing that I do where when I start feeling like spiritually dry and dead, I'll go to a cemetery near our house and I'll just walk around looking at graves. And I do it because it reminds me that I'm gonna die. And it reminds me that every single person to whom I preach every week 
is going to die. Welcome to Lake Point, you know? It just reminds me of that. I, I need to be reminded. So I took Ryan over to the cemetery and I'm like, here's what I did. We're standing in front of a bunch of graves and I started asking him, I started I start asking him like, hey, Ryan, um, hey, ma'am, um, hey, bro, is there an AV, is there a sound system that could make all these dead people get up out of their graves? What sound system could we install, Ryan? He's like, oh, bro, what are you talking about? Oh, you're right. That's not the secret. I was like, hey, man, um, what assimilation, is there an assimilation process we could put in that would like resurrect these dead bodies? and make them start walking. It's like, what are you talking about? That's not the, okay, oh, that's not the secret. Hey, Ryan, um, hey, is there a, or, what org chart, Ryan, could we put in that would make these cadavers walk out of these tombs and become living people? Oh, that's not a secret. Hey, one more. Hey, uh, hey, Ryan, if we just, what if at the end of the service, these dead people were all in the room and we had the keys come in at the exact right emotional peak of the sermon, made everybody in the room start crying and we just had all this stuff going on. Bro, could that, make resurrection happen for these graves in this graveyard? The obvious answer was no. And here was my point, church. And I need you to get this. Guys, there is no org chart. There is no sound system. There is no assimilation process that has resurrection power. Guys, those things can make bored people entertained. They can make lazy people busy. They can make lonely people relational. But the spirit of the living God has the power to make dead people live. That is where our power comes from. It comes from nowhere else, man. Some churches, they don't Check this out. Some churches, they don't do it in an in a, in organization. They do it in a leader. And, and if I'll be really honest, like, man, there's like a personality and they'll attach, the pers- they'll attach the power to a compelling, charismatic personality. If I'll be real honest, to be really transparent, this is a temptation I can have. Some of you guys know this. When I was coming to Lake Point, the, the thing that almost kept me, that almost made me say no to an obvious call of God for our family to come to Lake Point is I had to come and follow a generational, genera- generationally anointed leader in Pastor Steve Stroop. It was like, I, I, was, I was watching, I had been watching him for years. That's a previous pastor of this church, if you're new with us. I've been watching him for years and the thought of coming, I was like, bro, I'm like, he's 68, he is a OG. Like this guy, if you know anything about Steve, Steve is like what would happen if you took a Fortune 500 company CEO and baptized him in the Holy Spirit. That's Steve Stroop. And so I was like, bro, there ain't, there's, I was like, dude, there is no way. Yeah, y'all are clapping. That's, I was like, this stinks. I got to follow that, you know? I love Steve, by the way. Everybody needs to know that. So, but I was like, I'm, I, there's no way I can fill those shoes. And so I was like, man, I'm too young. I'm not talented enough. There's no way this is going to happen. You know, it's all going to fall apart. Well, I came and just followed God's call. And one day after I was preaching, I walked right back out that door behind this, uh, where I'm standing, there's some life group rooms. I turn right to go to the lobby. There's two older ladies coming out of a life group room. And I overhear them talking to each other right after my sermon saying, he's so young. He's so young. I don't know. He's fine, but he's no Steve. It's not going to be the same. And I thought, my God, they're thinking what I'm thinking. You know, that's like, and that's it. And so uh, seriously, for the first two years we were here, I literally, like every single week, I was just waiting for this thing to fall apart. And it never did. Do you know why? 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. And do you know what happened at Lake Point Church? Steve planted. God has given me, Josh, a season to water, but all along it has been God who gave the growth. You see, that, 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 that's how it works. You got, you got to understand, this is how this thing works, man. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, not Steve, not Josh, not any other leader. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a promise and he said, I 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So guys, man, here's how this works. The man who made this church what it is today, he never leaves and he never retires because Jesus made a promise he would never leave you or forsake you. That's where the power for the church comes from. Some churches, let me do one more. Some churches, they don't do it in an organization and they don't do it in a leader, by the way, with a week our nation just had. Uh, uh, this is not where I would necessarily choose for the sermon to go. But it's in the passage, and I'm here to preach the Bible. Some churches, they don't look for it in organization or in a leader. They look for it in politics. That's exactly what these apostles did. They thought, oh, you're going to give us power? Man, what we really need, Jesus, is political power. That's what we need. In fact, look at what they said. They went, oh, Jesus, you're going to give power. Here's the next thing they said. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking back at the Old Testament when, when God had this nation state and he, uh, he, he ruled through, uh, through nation state political power and they're like, awesome, you're gonna do it again. You're gonna topple Caesar, we're gonna go into Rome, we're gonna have this powerful you know, coalition that goes in. Caesar's gonna get voted out, Jesus is gonna get voted in, Jesus for president, this is gonna be awesome, let's do it. They were like, Jesus, let's go. We'll organize campaigns, we got all this stuff, we can make slogans. They were like, Jesus, great idea. We've got hashtag not my Caesar bumper stickers to go on the backs of every camel. Jesus, we can make make Israel great again hats. We can pass, again, pass them out everywhere. This can go awesome. Let's do it. And watch what Jesus does. This is what he says. He says, watch this. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, wait, it's not for you to know times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority. In other words, Jesus was saying, someday that will happen. You need to know this. And listen, everybody needs to know this. Jesus Christ is both a lion and a lamb. The first time he came as a lamb to be crucified for the sins of the world. Right now, he waits with eager expectation for everyone everywhere to receive the forgiveness that he purchased with his own blood. Right now, he is a lamb, but you need to understand someday he is coming back as a ruling lion and he will establish his throne over all the world. He is going to do that. But watch this, watch this. Jesus says that is gonna happen, but not right now. And you don't know when it's gonna happen. And he went, well, he, well, essentially he was going, hey, I am gonna give you power right now. Not that kind of power. He says this, you're gonna receive power when what? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what he says. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is where we get this power. Now listen, guys, you gotta understand this. Let me just say it in a straightforward way. Sometimes, let me, let me just say, I didn't say this in any other service, I don't, there's no service after this. I can say whatever I want. There's no timer, okay? I'm gonna say two things. One, Jesus said two things about his kingdom. One, he prayed that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. What that means is that I, listen, I want you involved in the political process. It is estimated that like 30 million Christians didn't vote in the last couple of elections. Listen, it is our job to be involved in this world as salt and light for the good, goodness and justice of the world. You need to be involved in political processes. That's number one. But that's right. That's, so yes, that's true. But check this out. Jesus also said this. He said, yeah, the second thing he said is my kingdom is not of this world. So I want you more involved in those processes, but I want your heart less entangled in those things. Guys, we are always, no matter who is in the White House, the House, or the Senate, we are always good because we know who's on the throne. We know that. So listen, Jesus was going, listen, that's right, man. You need to know this. Governments can change laws. They are powerless to change hearts. If what was wrong with the human race was a broken government, then a government could fix it. But the issue is not that we have a broken system. The issue is that we are broken people. I say this all the time. Your main problem is not that you are a mistaker in need of a life coach or a better political leader. Your main problem is that you are a sinner in need of a savior. 
That's what you need. And governments cannot fix what governments did not break. And so Jesus said, I'm gonna give you a power that can go inside of the chests of men and women and can change their hearts and turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. My, uh, I'm riffing on this. Give me 60 more seconds here. My, My postgraduate studies was an emphasis on church history. You, some people get all freaked out about political power and what's gonna happen to the church. Let me just tell you something, guys. Understand this. Church is gonna be just fine. Church is gonna be just fine. I'm gonna tell you that right now. If you look at all of church history, here's what you're gonna see. It is a demonstration of the fact that the Spirit's power is supreme over political power. Now, you see this everywhere. Listen, in, in, in 303 AD, the emperor Diocletian, Roman emperor Diocletian, he tried to stamp out the church. He sent an order out to every part of Rome with a command to burn every Bible in 303 AD to try to eradicate the church and Christianity forever. Do you know what happened a few years later? The Roman emperor Constantine himself bowed his knee to the lordship of Jesus and established Christianity as the official religion of the Roman empire. Fast forward just a little while. I got a few more. Fast forward just a a few more years uh, later. There was a French atheist named Voltaire in the 18th century. Some of you had to read him in high school. In the 18th century, he said that within 100 years of his death, quote, no one would even remember the Bible. Today in his house sits, I kid you not, a Bible printing press. God has an amazing sense of humor. A few years later, there was a small group of believers in France. They were called the Huguenots. The French government tried to stamp them out and destroy them. They persecuted this little group of Huguenots so severely. At one point, they thought they had eradicated the Huguenots and Christians from France, but they survived and they grew. Now, not only am I personally a direct descendant of some of those Huguenots standing here preaching the gospel today, but there's an old monument in France commemorating their faith that says this, pound away, you evil hands, the hammer breaks, the anvil stands. In the early 1900s, the Chinese Communist Revolution tried to stamp out Christianity out of China, and they killed or expelled every foreign missionary from the nation. But they thought they had done it in. But today the church is growing there underground faster than at any place in any time in human history. Pound away, you evil hands, the hammer breaks, the anvil stands. Guys, you gotta understand this. God is going to build his church and the gates of hell will never be able to stop it. Islamic, that's it, man. will never be able to stop it. Islamic terrorists can't stop it. Secular media can't stop it. Cynical college professors can't stop it. Kim Jong-il can't stop it in North Korea. His glory is going to cover the earth, the scripture tells us, like the waters cover the sea. And he is going to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language on this planet to worship around his throne. And he will do it by pouring out his spirit in power. That is what God is going to do. Now, we know this. We know this from this passage. Now, It says he's gonna pour out his spirit and that's gonna give you power for something specific. Watch what he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, you say, you will be my witnesses. That's right, witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now I wanna personalize this real quick because I, I need you to get this. Like you were filled with the spirit for a purpose. So put it up, let's do the blanks. I want you to say your name out loud and give it to me like, like beat the Saturday in the 9.30 in volume. Okay, give it to me, come on. I want you to say your name out loud when I get to the blanks. But, great job, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. And 
will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You, my friends, you have been filled with the Spirit to be the witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now, we can amen that, and we will shout our name when we read that verse, but can I be honest? What I've noticed, lo, these many years of being around churches, is that church people love to talk about reaching the lost until you, until you ask them to actually do something to make it happen. So churches will be like, yeah, man, we want to reach the lost. We want to reach the lost. And then you're like, hey, we need to start another campus. Oh, no, I'm not driving 10 extra minutes. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, we want to reach the lost. We want to reach the lost. Oh, are you, uh, we need to start an 8 a.m. service at your campus because your campus is growing too fast. Are you crazy? I'm not going to an 8 a.m. service. You nuts? Oh, we want to, yeah, yeah, we want to reach the lost. Oh, no, no, I'm not. You asking me to give generously? Are you insane? You asking me to go on a mission trip? You asking me, you know, we're, we're doing all these things, planting new campuses, planting new churches. Are you crazy? And so what people will do is they go, man, Josh, all this stuff that's being asked of us is uncomfortable. Guys, can I say something? The cross was uncomfortable for Jesus, but he endured it so you could be in a relationship with him. Guys, this is like our thing. And every now and then, let me just, again, let me riff on this. Every now and then somebody, will, they'll see all this stuff we're doing to reach people and they'll say this, man, Josh, it just, it just feels like the church is getting too big. It's too big. And they'll ask this question. Well, Josh, all these campuses, all these church plants, all these people, all these services, how big is big enough? Uh, can I answer that real quick? No one ever says that about hospitals. Nobody ever says, man, that hospital's getting too big. They're just helping too many sick people. How big is big enough? Uh, so let me just answer this question. Here's when the church is big enough. The church is big enough when there are no more lost people on earth careening towards an eternity without Jesus. That's when the church is big enough. The ch listen, the church is big enough when there are no more orphans that need adopted. The church is big enough when, there, when 11 a.m. on Sundays is no longer the most segregated hour in American life. The church is big enough when the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And until then, we have a mission to accomplish. We have been called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, not simply watchers who gather in a place and just enjoy this thing that other people sacrifice to build. Now, it doesn't just say that we are called to be witnesses. It also says where. And this, is, remember, love will make you do crazy things. This is where it gets crazy. Okay, this is what it says. Check this out. It says here, it says, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, you are not a first century Christian in Israel, so let me help you understand. When he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, those are not four different places. He's showing them a progression. In fact, here's what Jesus is doing. Check this chart out. So Jerusalem was the city they were in. Judea was the region Jerusalem was in. Samaria was a larger region that contained Judea and Jerusalem. And then obviously all of that was encompassed by the ends of the earth and the rest of the nations. So it would be like Jesus saying, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Dallas, in Texas, in America, in North America, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to go everywhere now. And he said, by the way, he said that to everyone that was a spirit-filled Christian. Now, you may be going, well, what's that look like for me? I'll get to that in just a second. Check, check this out. But I want you to see how serious God was about this. In fact, do you know what they did? The exact opposite of what Jesus said. So the Spirit's poured out in Acts 2. Peter keeps preaching. The church grows to 5,000 people in Acts 4. The first church ever, anywhere was a mega church. Just getting that in. So that, that happens. So this is what happens. So, and then what happens is they're all like, man, they don't go anywhere. Instead of going out, 
they stay. They're like, man, we love all these people. We love the prayer and worship nights. We love all the stuff. We like the nice building that we're in. Everything's real comfortable. I got my people. I'm not going anywhere. And God's like, uh-uh, that's not what I said. In fact, check this out. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Check out what happens in Acts 8.1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? God cared so much about people who don't know him hearing the gospel of Jesus that he allowed, not caused, but he allowed persecution to enter into the life of the church to force them to scatter and obey his command to take the gospel to the nations. That's how serious God is about lost people coming to know him and him getting an eternity with them. Okay, now, um, you don't realize it. You are direct descendants of people who obeyed this command, okay? Now, I'm getting ready to do, so it's gonna take me about three minutes, okay? I'm getting ready to do something, and I'll be really honest. What I'm getting ready to do, I would not do at most churches. Um, at most churches, it'd be a little too like church history. It'd be a little too like intellectually up, maybe above their heads, and uh, a lot of people's eyes would, you know, they'd be like, I couldn't track. At most churches, I would not teach this, but... Lake Point Church is not most churches. And so I'm, you're going you're gonna to track with me and this is going to be awesome, okay? Let me do this. Um, let me make a point extremely visible. If you, at all of our campuses, if you're online, you can drop an emoji. At all of our campuses, if you or any immediate family of yours was saved or baptized at Lake Point Church, would you raise your hand? Everybody raise them high. And at all of our campuses, look around. Frankly, that is astounding. Everybody raise them high and look around. You or immediate family member, saved or baptized. Okay, actually, keep them up real quick. There is a person-to-person -person direct line from the 11 people who heard Jesus say this in Acts 1 to you, obeying his command to take the gospel to the nations. You can put your hand down. Now, let me show you what has happened throughout church history for you this is going to take me three minutes, but it's got a really, really good payoff, okay? So in Acts 1-8, Jesus looks at 11 people and he says, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Seven days later, the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem and the first church was born. Peter continued preaching and by Acts chapter 4, the church grew to 5,000 in those first days. On AD, in AD 31, Stephen, a deacon, gave a powerful sermon and was stoned to death and he became the first Christian martyr. By AD 34, the Lord converted Saul on Damascus Road, and he made him Paul, the first and most prolific church planter that the world has ever seen. By AD 44, King Herod Agrippa has James executed and Peter arrested. In the midst of persecution, Antioch became the center of operations, and Paul and Barnabas were sent out on the first ever missionary journey. On their final missionary journey, Paul traveled to Galatia, Phrygia, Ephesus, and he spent three months in Greece before going to Jerusalem, and he was arrested. Paul was then sent to Rome, shipwrecked on Malta, and he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. At that point, the book of Acts ends, but the story of God's pursuit of the nations does not end. By AD 80, Christianity spreads to France and Tunisia. By AD 100, the first Christians are reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, Portugal and Morocco have people calling upon the name of the Lord. By AD 174, Austria, Switzerland, and Belgium have Christians worshiping there. In AD 328, the gospel reaches Ethiopia. 
Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England, and within the first year, 10,000 people were baptized. By AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. By AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland, but it wasn't until AD 900 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. By 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reports its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the new American colonies. And in 1835, the, the Southern Baptist Convention formed in Augusta, Georgia, and decided to spread the gospel west from Georgia. In 1840, the first three Baptist churches in Texas were started by the Union Baptist Association who began starting churches all over the state. In 1852, a church was started 1.9 miles from where I am standing right now called New Hope Baptist Church. After years in homes and schools, the church built its first building in 1876 and eventually renamed itself to First Baptist Church, Rockwall, Texas. Over 100 years later, On June 17, 1979, seven families that were sent out from First Baptist Church Rockwall hosted the first service of Dalrock Baptist Church that later called its first pastor Steve Stroop and eventually renamed to Lake Point Church. That church over the last 40 years has baptized over 18,500 people and launched seven campuses in two countries. We have planted 56 churches in North America that have, plant, that have baptized another 16,000 people and catalyzed 20 international partners in 11 different countries that have baptized thousands and planted another 100 churches among the nations. That is what happened because of Acts 1-8. That Listen, would you do this again? If you or somebody uh, in your immediate family was saved or baptized at Lake Point, would you raise your hand again? There is a direct, keep them, there is a direct line passed from Acts 1-8 to the hands that are raised right now. You can put them down. And watch this, watch this. There are people among nations all over the world that in future generations will raise their hands And there will be a direct line from you to them because we have been called to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We owe that to the nations. Now, Lake Point Church, here's what we do. Um, We support 20 international partners, churches and countries that are leading people to Christ in 11 different nations. One of them is Lighthouse Evangelical Church in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. This church is planting churches all over rural Vietnam in places where no church has ever been before. And this year we decided to do something unique for this one of our international partners. Check this out with me. If you walk on a Ho Chi Minh City street 
and you meet 1,000 people, just one of them is Christian. I remember 2008 as a young couple, we started our ministry in Ho Chi Minh City. We believe that the gospel of Christ brings hope to the people. We have a dream, but there's no way that we can accomplish that dream. Seven years ago, we built a small facility on the lot that God allowed us to purchase. We moved from one service to two services and then to three services. So they're so sure that God wants this building to be built up. So our church members started giving every week to make it happen before God would bring all the resources to us. That's how we started this building project. But there is a big gap between, you know, what the people gave and then the, the total budget of the whole construction. And we've been praying, we don't know what to do. And in one Sunday, COVID takes place with over 11,000 new cases and 737 COVID-related deaths in 24 hours. Vietnam reported its highest daily death toll on Sunday. Vietnam has recorded over 348,000 COVID infections and more than 8,000 deaths, with Ho Chi Minh City accounting for more than half of the cases and 80% of the fatalities. What should we do? Can we continue? Should we lead the way we lead? Is there anything else that we have not done? Should we move on? How could we find support for ourselves to remain here, to endure the life and also pursue the calling? That's a big concern and challenge. But our joy is really to see life transformed. Cái dịch bệnh đến không ai kiểm soát được thành phố chúng ta là tâm dịch với sự những hậu quả rất nặng nề. Nhiều con cái chú mất việc, nhiều anh chị em đã tôi chia sẻ với hội thánh như thế này. Hội thánh Lake Point là một cộng sự của chúng ta trong việc mở mang hội thánh và mỗi năm họ thường góp phần với chúng ta trong những dự án liên quan đến công việc mở mang hội thánh Chúa và họ đã quyết định dâng số tiền 250.000 đô la. Để qua được giai đoạn này Còn nói về xây dựng, nói về những cái việc đó thì thật sự nó rất là xa vời Nếu Đức Chúa Trời không làm phép lạ Nhiều anh chị em đang đang vật lộn để có thể có được cuộc sống cho mình Và Tôi nói với Hồ Thánh Chúa là Khi chúng tôi biết con cái Chúa khó khăn, chúng tôi đã trích một khoản tiền lo cho xây dựng Để lo cho cuộc sống của anh chị em trong cái dự án Trong sự án gói yêu thương của chúng ta mà chúng ta một số con cái chúa đã nhận Bởi vì chúng ta biết rằng sự tồn tại của Hồ Thánh mục đích đó là để cho anh chị em có thể qua được giai đoạn To the people of Lake Pond, we are so grateful for your love, for your heart, for your support, for your prayers You show us, you demonstrate to us that you love Christ, you love His church, and you show us in a very 
uh, practical way that we are so thankful. We belong to an army. We have people cherishing our dream and appreciating every little thing that we do. Because of the partnership with Lake Pond that allow us to dream, allow us to serve, allow us to be where we are now. So thank you so much for all that that you have done uh, for Christ and for our church in Vietnam. That's it. That's it, man. Hey. And Lake Point family, because of you, there is now a church planter training center in the middle of Ho Chi Minh City, raising up pastors to plant churches all over Vietnam in places where Christ has never been preached because of you. Thank you. Um, hey, now here's the deal. All right. So like this is what we said is Jesus command was the ends of the earth. <laughs> so, now, if we're honest, some of you hearing that, and you're like, bro, that's awesome. I ain't never going to Vietnam. You're like, and honestly, some of you are like, man, I'm like, Josh, I'm, I'm 84. Like I barely leave my neighborhood. I'm probably not. So here's the deal. Not everyone is called to go, but everyone is called to do something. So everybody, everybody's gonna fall into one of three categories. All right, you are, check this out. You are either a prayer, a player, or a payer. That's, that's it. That's a good preacher alliteration. You're one of those three. So one, some of you, you are prayers. You are prayer warriors. And what you need to do is you're like, man, I'm, I, it's hard for me to even get out, you know, that kind of thing. I'm never, but what you need to do is you need to put all of our international partners, all of our church planters on your prayer list and bathe them in prayer, asking for an outpouring of the spirit and power on their lives. Prayers. Now, whole lot of you, you are players. Players get on the field. Players get in the game. And every year we send out over a thousand people from our church on international mission trips. And listen, man, you, you may not go every single year, but you need to go at least one time in your life. It will change your life. Because here's what's gonna happen. You think you're gonna go and you're gonna change the world and actually go into the world, it's gonna change you forever. And God needs you to have that experience to cement in you a heart for the nation. So here's what you can do is you can text the word missions missions to 20411. You get a list of all of our international mission trips and you, maybe you and your kids, you go on at least one of those at some time in your life to obey this command. Now, here's the last one is payers. Between now and the end of the year is when we have the honor, and it is the honor, to receive our annual missions offering. That's where we give above our regular giving. And it's the, what, what gets given in the annual missions offering forms the bulk of the support for our more than 40 local partners, 56 and counting church planters, and 20 and counting international partners taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, you can give to that in one of two ways. Um, either on the seat in front of you, you see a little envelope that just says annual mission, missions offering. You can put your gift in there and drop it uh, in the, the plates or the, uh, the buckets as they come by. So you can take that home, begin praying about what your family might give. Or two, you can text the word GIVE to 20411 and choose annual missions offering from the drop-down menu and 100% of those dollars go out our doors uh, for missions via uh, Lake Point. All right, now, uh, right now, Lake Point family, we're getting ready to receive our regular giving. And so you can give to that in one of three ways, either in the buckets they come by, in the, bath, uh, in the boxes uh, by the doors on your way out, um, or texting GIVE to 20411. But right now, Lake Point Church, would you stand with me and worship both as we give and as we sing? Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, 
Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake Point.